This podcast is proudly supported by the University Students Council at Western University. Please note that the content of this podcast in no way constitutes medical advice or instruction. Should you have any health-related questions or concerns, please contact your physician. In this spotlight segment, we'll be discussing e-cigarettes. Another related term to e-cigarettes is vape or vape pen. The main difference is that e-cigarettes are normally smaller, while vapes are larger and have more adjustable settings. Other than that, e-cigarettes and vapes are one and the same, so we'll be using the terms interchangeably throughout the episode. In Canada, the Tobacco and Vaping Products Act became law on May 23rd, 2018. That means that it wasn't until about nine months ago that adults could legally get vaping products with nicotine. Before this occurred, there's been some concern, in both Canada and the US, about the regulation-free environment in which e-cigarette production and marketing has been allowed to evolve. While government regulations showed some lag, many people were quick to show hesitation in accepting the e-cigarette, with concerns like e-cigarettes cause cancer, popcorn lung, or that they're more addictive than cigarettes. It's thought that society is being more careful with e-cigarettes because of the lesson that we've learned from the cigarette. In the mid-1930s, the public started to become worried about the health consequences of cigarettes because rates of lung cancer were skyrocketing. Tobacco companies saw the beginnings of this attitude change as a threat, and began to use the so-called medical research and physicians in their advertisements, insisting that cigarettes were not harmful. They continued to advertise that certain brands were less irritating and more smooth for two whole decades, but by the mid-1950s, tobacco companies had no choice but to face the music. They did so by saying that the research was not conclusive, and that we still can't be sure that cigarettes cause issues like lung and laryngeal cancer and chronic bronchitis. Today, it's still hard to believe that there was a so-called controversy over whether cigarettes were unhealthy until as late as 1998. That's 60 years after the initial research findings came out that linked cigarettes to lung cancer. Fast forward to today, and you'll see a similarly polarized landscape regarding e-cigarettes. The difference is that there really isn't a lot of research indicating that e-cigarette use harms you to the same degree that smoking cigarettes does. In fact, a quick Google search will tell you that they've actually been shown to be safe up to a period of four years. Since e-cigarettes have only been around since the early 2000s, we won't know about the long-term health impacts in humans for at least another few decades. So the question is, should the public take the initial research findings at face value and accept the e-cigarette as a safer alternative to cigarette smoking? Today we'll be talking to Dr. Corey Yamashita, who is a respirologist at Western University. But before that, we're going to chat with an ex-smoker named Olivier, who will tell the story of what the e-cigarette did for him. I'm 41 years old. Uh, I'm, uh, I've never been in great shape. I'm an IT consultant. I work on a computer 80 hours a week. So I've never been in great shape. And for me, just going up a flight of stairs was extreme pain. You know, I get winded really, really easily. Uh, a few years ago, I started um, coaching baseball because I've got kids who play baseball. And just going through an hour or an hour and a half uh, practice with the kids was torture. I'd get winded. I couldn't run with the kids. I couldn't do what I needed to do. Um, and, uh, <laughs> but the after effect of stopping smoking, after about three weeks after I stopped smoking, I stopped smoking four years ago. And without really thinking about it, 
practices became easier. You know, I've got a three-story house. Just going up the stairs was getting easier. And it was not a dramatic effect. It was not, you know, from one day to the next. But slowly, things got better. And um, now, you know, while I can't say I have the shape of an, an Olympic athlete, I can go through a three-hour practice with the kids and actually have fun instead of thinking it's a torture uh, exercise. So, um, and actually, I have not seen for myself any uh, bad sides to it, if you will. My breathing comes easier. Uh, I just have a lot more energy, um, probably because I can breathe better. But that's pretty much it. Uh, to me, vaping was the only way I could stop cigarettes. I had been a smoker for 25 years. Uh, I tried every trick in the book, every medically approved trick be it uh, patches and gums and atomizers and whatevers. Um, and uh, at some point, a friend dared me into saying, hey, you've not tried everything, you have not tried the e-cigarette. And I didn't believe it could work. I um, actually purchased the kit on a dare, thinking that it wouldn't work. And actually it did. So I haven't touched a cigarette in four years. Olivier goes on to say that he feels that coming off the nicotine completely at some point would be best. But since he feels like he's stuck with the addiction, vaping was the only way to replace cigarettes entirely. I started four years ago on liquids that had a concentration of 18 milligrams per milliliter of juice, uh, which is a fairly high concentration. And I slowly went down to 12 and 8 and 6 and I've been on 3 milligram juice for the past roughly 3 years. I tried going down further and I get nervous, I get sweats, I get, you know, the the, the bad side of stopping smoking, if you will. And so I kind of decided, hey, for now, I'm happy at 3 milligrams and that's just where I'll stay until further notice. So while we do hear a lot about how vaping is better than smoking health-wise, it's helpful to hear from a person that's actually been through it all. You may have noticed though that it wasn't Olivier's doctor that recommended that he try vaping as an alternative, it was his friend. So where exactly does the medical community stand on this issue? Here to provide his take on the issue is respirologist Dr. Corey Yamashita. Respirologist here at St. Joe's and I uh, see patients mainly with lung disease of all varieties, asthma, COPD, lung cancer, and this issue of vaping has really come to the forefront in the past uh, number of years, which uh, during the course of my training when I went through medical school and residency training was not even on the map. And only in the past couple of years, this has come to the forefront and it's actually a very relevant uh, patient issue uh, with patients coming to clinic asking about vaping. Uh, and we've really been disarmed to some degree in terms of having uh, updated medical knowledge and certainly there's not a lot of clinical trials that are out there that uh, support uh, different types of recommendations that we make and, and the data that is out there is somewhat scant uh, and really hasn't quite met the bar of what we would call rigorous randomized clinical trials to this point. One of the most popular statistics that e-cigarette enthusiasts will throw around is that e-cigarettes are 95% safer than smoking. Really? 95%? That's amazing! It sounds unbelievable, but when you check the source, 
It came from the PHE, or the Public Health Department of England. Sounds pretty legit to me, but listen carefully to an interesting point brought up by Dr. Yamashita. There was an interesting study that came out uh, about three or four years ago uh, in Europe. And this is really some of the data that uh, the UK government took pretty seriously in terms of using data uh, in some of these small studies to, to endorse e-cigarettes as a smoking cessation tool. And so back, I think around 2015, 2016, the UK government actually tasked um, <coughs> a, a, an arm of the physician's branch to actually give a recommendation about smoking cessation. When they looked at the data, and one number that you'll see that comes pretty clearly through a lot of the lay literature is this notion that vaping and e-cigarettes are 95% safer than cigarettes. And this is really one of the headline uh, pieces of data that uh, the British physicians have used uh, in recommending uh, e-cigarettes for smoking cessation. This is about as good as the data gets. And to give you an idea where that 95% number comes from, that comes from a study uh, that was conducted out of Europe where they collected about 12 uh, quote-unquote experts within the field. And really all they did was they asked these 12 experts, compared to a cigarette, which we'll use as a standard of calling 100, how bad do you think electronic cigarettes are for you on a scale of 100? And what eventually happened is this group of 12 experts kind of said, well, it's probably about a five. And this was just a total random number that they pulled out of the air. And so 100 minus five is 95. And so that's where that number, which is a little scary, comes from in terms of e-cigarettes being 95% safer. Not exactly the most robust study methods, but most people, including myself, wouldn't second guess that 95% safer statistic because it actually came from a branch of the UK government, which for most people is enough reason to trust it. We've obviously learned a lot from cigarette smoke uh, on its own, and it's really the combustion of tobacco uh, that leads to a lot of the byproducts that cause harm with smoking. But it's really the nicotine component that ends up being the, uh, the addictive component of the cigarette. The offshoot of burning tobacco or lighting tobacco is the combusted products, which uh, are probably the more harmful of, um, uh, are probably the most harmful in terms of lung damage leading to COPD, lung cancer, and that kind of thing. When uh, liquids are vaporized, again, Part, it's, part of it is actually due to the biochemical reaction of how hot or how high of a temperature you heat the liquids to. And so there is some data out there suggesting that the higher uh, and the more intense heat that you use to vaporize the liquid, that more of these, you know, quote-unquote, bad chemicals get released into the, uh, into the vapor, to the aerosol. And there's no question there's things like propylene glycol and things that do get aerosolized into the lung. Uh, that probably have some ill-towards side effects over the long term, but again, we just don't have the, the length of studies to tell us about that. As Dr. Yamashita mentioned, due to their relatively short existence, data on the long-term health effects of e-cigarettes just doesn't exist yet. And until it does, all we have to base our decision-making is off of evidence from animal studies, chemical analyses, observational studies, and small-scale clinical trials. In 2009, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration did a test of 18 brands of e-cigarette liquids that were popular in the U.S. market. They found that e-cigarettes, as we suspected, did contain lower amounts of potentially harmful chemicals compared to tobacco products. Other studies have similar findings, suggesting that e-cigarettes are a less harmful source of particulate exposure compared to tobacco cigarettes. But of course, more research is needed. 
One area of research that is particularly controversial is the flavorings found in e-cigarettes. You'll often hear that, oh, it's no big deal, it's FDA approved. And that's true. Many flavorings that are used in e-cigarettes are approved for use in food manufacturing, meaning that they're safe to eat. However, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're safe to inhale. One related headline you may have seen in the past few years is, Vaping causes popcorn lung. Popcorn lung's medical name is bronchiolitis obliterans, and it got its name from the butter flavoring in microwave popcorn. So it's interesting, I did uh, some training down in, in uh, the States before I came back to Canada, and this whole issue of popcorn lung came up about 10 years ago. Uh, and it was related to a gentleman at the hospital that I was, that I was working at who developed this quote-unquote popcorn lung. And so this is a guy that worked at a popcorn factory, um, at a microwave popcorn factory, and he, it was his daily ritual to microwave a bag of popcorn, open it up, and inhale as deeply as he could because he loved that butter smell so much. And so from that, there was probably things within that same vapor that comes off steamed popcorn or the flavored part of the popcorn that gives some type of probably lipid into the lung that can cause this hypersensitivity type of reaction. Uh, again, the, the type of reaction, at least that's reported within the popcorn lung, is this uh, disease called hypersensitivity pneumonitis, where it tends to be uh, an inflammatory process that's elicited in the lung, specifically by some type of usually organic uh, antigen. Dr. Yamashita mentions a separate disease called hypersensitivity pneumonitis, which is one of the possible causes for bronchiolitis obliterans, or popcorn lung. Since the initial report, Cases of biopsy-proven bronchiolitis obliterans in heavy popcorn consumers have also been reported. The connection to e-cigarettes or vaping is that some flavors contain diacetyl, so as to create a creamy or buttery taste for the user. Since the news broke on diacetyl in the early 2000s, e-cigarettes gained notoriety for causing popcorn lung, which can cause shortness of breath, dry cough, wheezing, and fatigue. Popcorn lung can also result from inhaled chemicals too, not just diacetyl, including chlorine, ammonia, and welding fumes. Let's go back to the medical name again, bronchiolitis obliterans. This actually describes the underlying mechanism of the disease, where scar tissue begins to accumulate in the small airways of the lung, called the bronchioles, in response to irritation and repeated injury. They grow and grow until they obliterate the airway enough to cause symptoms. Unfortunately, Bronchiolitis obliterans is irreversible, and patients have minimal response to therapy and a very poor prognosis. It's important to mention, though, that conventional cigarettes also contain diacetyl, often in much higher quantities than e-cigarettes. So, it's not clear that vaping causes popcorn lung any more than smoking does. And so, as you guys have probably seen these days, the, you know, the real trend for uh, e-cigarettes or vaping uh, has been to use some of these quote-unquote liquids that are flavored with things, everything under the sun, including, you know, strawberry unicorn type things. And so it raises a huge public health concern of whether or not, um, on the one hand, these are somewhat being promoted for smoking cessation, but by and large are being used to target the younger population and your cohort of people um, uh, to either get vaping more and or to start smoking cigarettes. There's a lot of things that are happening in the background uh, in this area as well that sometimes the public is not uh, you know, fully uh, engaged with, one of which is that the majority of these e-cigarette companies and vaping companies are now owned almost exclusively by large tobacco companies. Uh, and if you look at 
the way that they're promoting these e-cigarettes is to the younger generation who probably aren't cigarette smokers at the current time. Uh, and if you look at it, they're using a lot of the very same tactics that they were using in the 1960s and 70s to get people to start smoking. Uh, for example, social media, which my generation older really aren't engaged with anymore. The bulk of their uh, advertising campaigns are going into looking at uh, or using social media to advertise. Uh, hiring social influencers on Instagram to promote things, for example, like Juul, which is probably the most um, uh, widely used product that's out there right now. It comes in a very slick you know, electronic USB-looking device that looks nothing like a traditional cigarette, and it's being targeted heavily towards uh, the younger generation. Unfortunately, there is substantial evidence that e-cigarette use by youth and young adults increases their risk of ever using conventional cigarettes. There is likewise a lot of data out there uh, and in numerous studies uh, that show that if you're a young person uh, who's a non-cigarette smoker, if you start using e-cigarettes or vaping, there's about a five to 10 times likelihood that you'll start smoking cigarettes within the next year. And so, you know, not to be a you know, pessimist about this, but from a, from a large tobacco company, you can see there's a large uh, number of patients or a large number of uh, people out there potentially who are uh, customers uh, down the road for not only vaping, but also regular tobacco cigarettes. And one of the big fears is that all of this promoting e-cigarettes to the younger generation is going to undo a lot of the uh, successful anti-smoking, tobacco smoking campaigns that have happened over the years. And there's no question that the prevalence of tobacco smoking has gone down, particularly in, in the younger generation. Uh, and it's a large untapped market now market now for the, uh, the tobacco companies to uh, engage a new generation of people to take up either vaping or, or cigarette smoking. Now that we've talked about the potential impact that e-cigarettes has on the field of vaping research, a popcorn lung, and the marketing of e-cigarettes to youth, you may be wondering, what does Dr. Yamashita actually tell his patients? So usually my discussion with patients uh, centers largely around why or how or whether or not they should use e-cigarettes, particularly if they're lifelong smokers. And there is data upon data upon data to suggest that um, patients, no matter what stage they are in their disease, should attempt to quit smoking. And so one of the you know big things I tell patients is no matter if you're 45, 50, 60, 70, there's never too late of a time to quit smoking. And this is borne out from a lot of uh, large-scale data that has shown that over the years, uh, where they studied cohorts of patients, studied, stop, studied different patients at which time they stopped. Uh, and there's no question that there's probably an effect of uh, mitigating further loss of lung function, those who quit even uh, late into life. Uh, interesting, the, the number ends up being around 30 to 40 years old. And so there was a large study that came out of Toronto uh, a few years back uh, that looked not only at lung function but asked the question um, how much longer will, you, will I live if I manage to quit smoking and this is something that I use in clinic to talk to patients about smoking cessation and potentially using e-cigarettes and that number looks like it's around 30 years old so if you're 30 years old and you've smoked up until that point in your life but can manage to quit we think by and large that your life expectancy lung stroke cancer heart disease tends to be the same as a non-smoker and so in that population, and you know, somewhere around 30 to 40, I am quite adamant that that is the age that you really, really need to get on top of patients to quit smoking. If we introduce e-cigarettes as an alternative, I think an important discussion point, and this came about and was you know, kind of shown again in a recent clinical trial, that if you use e-cigarettes to quit smoking, it is of utmost importance that you don't become an e-cigarette and cigarette smoker at the same time. And there's data, there's Canadian data, and a recent trial showed that 
if you use e-cigarettes for smoking cessation, there's a large number of patients, if you look far enough out, who have gone back to smoking cigarettes and are also vaping at the same time. Um, there was a clinical, one of the clinical trials just published a couple of weeks ago um, where the data actually looked pretty convincing in the sense that compared to our traditional uh, tools for smoking cessation like nicotine patches and gum, that um, an e-cigarette is probably twice as effective. So I think there is a place for it. Uh, Health Canada has not come out with uh, a policy like they have in the UK that such that physicians should endorse them completely. Uh, but I think, you know, personally in my own clinics, and I don't want to speak for all my colleagues, but uh, I certainly advocate for patients using e-cigarettes that they can use it as a tool to get off cigarettes. Thanks for listening to this Hashtag Health Spotlight. We want to thank Olivier and Dr. Yamashita for their contributions to this episode. If you like this episode and want to hear about other topics like hashtag probiotics, hashtag longevity, or hashtag porn addiction, go check out our page. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the Hashtag Health Podcast and follow us on social media to be alerted when we post new content.